Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter 22 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. You know, part of my preparation for this episode was that I went back and listened to our discussion of the Twilight book. Not all of it, because I don't have that much patience for us. Um, (laughs) But part of that was I listened to our second ever episode and just how dull our intro was compared to what we do now. (laughs) And I don't know if that's because we thought we were being professional at that time whether we were trying to sound really serious maybe i'll find a clip and drop it in here okay i'm chloe i'm isaac and in this episode we're talking about the second half of twilight the first novel in the saga we're just so precise and almost robotic and the irony is back then we cared more (laughs) but it sounds like we cared less before we go any further I just need to make a a formal apology (laughs) to Stephanie Meyer, to her editors, to all of our listeners. I've let you all down. Two weeks ago, I believed that I had discovered a typo in the text of Life and Death. And I think I made some kind of arrogant, flippant joke about unless there's a phrase I've never heard of. Um, Turns out there's a phrase I've never heard of, which is to get a bead on someone. To get a bead on someone or something means to aim at someone or something with the sights of a firearm. You know, like the crosshairs of the viewer on a gun. So that kind of metaphor then comes to mean to focus your attention on someone or something. So to fully understand, to have someone in your sights, this is all what could be meant by get a bead on him. So I was wrong and I apologise. On with the show. I have a hair appointment tomorrow and I couldn't be more excited. You've been waiting so long. I've been waiting so long. I just want to be touched. I just want my scalp to be massaged. Will they wash your hair? Do you know this? Yeah, they will. They're going to touch me. They have to touch me. I think they'll obviously be wearing gloves, but they have to touch me. Do you ever think about how, at least for us, these episodes will be like little time capsules? Oh, no, I didn't. But that's a lovely idea. Better than just, do you remember that time that we used to sit on microphone and just rant about someone we didn't know? <laughs> and stories that no one asked us to read. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like, yeah. oh, in three years time, I can listen back to this and I'll be like, oh, that was the year that we all didn't leave the house for three months. That was the year that JK Rowling decided to finally set fire to her career. <laughs> Waterstones have just released like the advert for her newest book and I'm like if anybody buys it oh I mean you know people will but surely it will plummet I honestly don't know have you seen the discussion this whole thing about cancelling and like the cancel culture wow okay I I wasn't aware well we're kind of playing into it right now oh oh. 
I'm so hoping I don't even know it. <laughs> yeah. But cancel culture, cancelling is what the kids say. Uh, they say you're cancelled when you have said or done something problematic. That is a little bit terrifying, though. It's basically deplatforming, so no one will yes. buy your stuff or listen yeah. to you or, like, they'll just unfollow you. So that's obviously what loads of people have been doing with J.K. Rowling. Like, I'm no longer going to engage with your product. I mean, it's how I feel myself. If Fantastic Beasts 3 happens, am I going to see it? Hell no. Unless, in that time, she has grown and apologised. So recently, J.K. Rowling has signed an open letter with a bunch of other authors kind of decrying cancel culture. It was in the Times. Yeah, because they all know that they're the ones that want to get cancelled! Exactly! (laughs) I'm all for her growing and learning and doing better, but freedom of speech is not freedom from consequence, and there is a difference between just outright cancelling someone and holding someone to account for their actions. Oh, lots of intelligent words just flew out of your mouth. <laughs> Look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Stephanie Meyer doesn't have Twitter, so we can all be grateful of that. <laughs> okay, so chapter 22, Hannah Zeke. Uh, we left off with Archie having a premonition and us assuming it's probably Bo's death, but we're not sure. It is still Wednesday, the 23rd of March, 2005. It's approximately 6am. Okay, so Archie and Bo pretend they don't understand what Archie's latest vision means. Impending death on Bo's part, we assume. They both know, but won't say. Bo has time to write a letter to Edith asking not to avenge his death. Archie and Jessamine and Bo go to the airport. Just before Edith's plane arrives, Bo asks if Jessamine can accompany him to get breakfast. He then says he needs to use the men's room, because Jessamine would never go in there. Bo runs away. He makes it all the way to his mother's house. He calls Joss, who instructs him to meet her at the old ballet studio. But we already knew this. Bo runs some more and arrives to find Joss. And no, Rene. <sighs> dun, dun, dun! Joss is surprised with how quickly Bo made it, so has decided she will slowly torture him and film it, in the hopes Edith will avenge him, because Joss is all about the drama. Then Joss has a field day, breaking Bo's arm, his leg, and then she bites his finger, leaving venom in his body. The chapter ends with Bo being surrounded by his own vomit and blood, and Joss is going into a bit of a frenzy. Bo hopes for death. let's just fucking do this right what do you feel about Archie and Bo's denial they both know full well what the other one understands is going on okay so I'm still holding on to the hope that it's going to be more interesting and that Archie has not had a vision of Bo dying that is what Bo is assuming right but I am keeping this reading does this chapter not make you feel like that was probably the vision though well he's not died yet no but He's in a lot of fucking pain. He's, sure. He, there's a lot. But we don't know. So all we know is that Bo made a decision to go and meet Joss. Yeah. And whatever the outcome of that decision is, is what Archie has seen. But that could change, though. Only with a new decision. That's coming from Joss as well, is Bo. Yes, but I don't think Joss has changed her mind about anything. But I think she does when Bo arrives. I don't know, though. I'm hoping that we're going to get some kind of revelation Okay. before... We've we've not got long left in this book, but (laughs) I'm hoping that something is going to happen to make it really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. What I'm enjoying more in this scene, rather than their little back and forth, is Jessamine staring at the two of them, feeling the chaos, which I thought was just great. Just looking from Archie to Bo, Bo to Archie. 
and just feeling the chaos. And I I can relate. (laughs) Bo's letter to Edith. Yeah. It's not one of the greatest love letters of our time, is it? Well, he has this inspiration. So he goes rummaging underneath the complimentary copy of the Bible. And again, I don't want to get myself in more hot water, but the word complimentary here, I'm like, I I don't think you're supposed to take it. complimentary is like the mint that you get yeah with the bill that's complimentary can you imagine being asked for the mint back ew yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean i could imagine being asked like sir please return the bible that you took from this hotel room anyway then we get the letter i mean it's basically the same as before i had a massive hissy fit in our second episode about this letter you did i was wondering if uh... yeah so i listened back to it and i stand by my comments okay it's juvenile Mm. I don't need it. No. I will say that this font is better. It's better. Yes. But just because it's easier to read. Yeah. It's not as harsh on the eye. <laughs> We've got no time. That's why. I mean, again, it is a digitised, handwritten imitation. Well, how else is it going to... She's not going to handwrite <laughs> I know, and we literally had this same conversation before, but I just, like, it's so obvious looking at it. The weird capital A is the same every time. Like, I would just so much rather it be in the same font, indented, smaller. Just don't do this. It's a stand-in for an illustration. It breaks up the page. I still think it's useless and a little bit juvenile. I love your thoughts on this always. Um... (laughs) That sounded really insincere, but I really meant that. Oh, okay. Oh, No, I really meant that. I just realised how sarcastic that sounded. But I was like, no, that was genuine. They arrive at the airport. He's falling to pieces. And he knows that they can see that he's falling to pieces, which is stressful. And just a little bit that it, it is there in Twilight, but it hit harder here, where... Bo looks up at the departure board and... Oh, and yes. Yeah, Archie and Jessamine are discussing the pros mm. and cons of various cities and he says, places I'd never been, places yeah, I would never I'll go never now. Go. Yeah, that was quite sad. I thought the same. It's little things like that that make mm. you go, wow, this is a 17-year-old who's about to yeah. put himself to death and that's a lot. Yeah. So Bo's plan at the airport and all it took was the gender divide. And I know it's the same in Twilight, but that's all it took for him to run away from these super skilled vampires. You are a lady and you cannot follow me to the urinals. How funny and kind of topical. Yes. In a book where we have done nothing but talk about gender differences. So smart. Love you. And then he's running through the airport and in his like hurried escape, he does that really irritating thing where the lift doors are closing and someone just stops it. Oh yeah. And then he squeezes in beside the irritated passengers and checks to make sure that the button for the level he needs has been pressed. Yeah. And all my little 2020 mind could do was go, COVID? Why are you squeezed in? Imagine the thought of squeezing into a packed lift now and then touching a button that God knows how many other people have touched. True, but if he didn't get that lift, they would have got him. Oh, also this was 2005. This is like, coronavirus was but a twinkle in the eye (laughs) of our malevolent creator. Yeah. (laughs) 
but yeah, it's it's. I understand the anxiety. At least he didn't have to press the button in the lift. He didn't have to, no, but he was going to. If no one else had pressed it, he would have. And then when he finally arrives outside the airport and gets a taxi, which I think he has stolen from an elderly couple. No, they're getting out of it. Oh, they're getting out. Okay. They're cool. getting their suitcase out of the boot of the car. Right, and he's and like, he gets Ooh. in before they've even managed to get their suitcase right. out of the boot. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. I knew there was some sort of rudeness. And then... <laughs> This is the thing that I really had a problem with. So Bo spends his taxi journey fantasising about what would have happened if he would have stayed and seen Edith at the airport. This is a good 20 minute fantasy and I'm like, oh God. (laughs) It feels just so real. Like, oh my God, (laughs) just get your dick out. Get it over and done with. No. (laughs) Yes. Not in a taxi. Oh, we've all done silly things in the back of a taxi. Speak for yourself, please. <gasps> oh, please! Please! Come Ma'am. on! <laughs> yeah, but isn't that fantasy ridiculous? It is ridiculous. Thanks. I'm with you on that. I mean, I didn't have that much to say about it, but I did underline it and say, oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> Uh, so Bo makes it to Renee's house. Yay! Yay. Calls Joss straight away. When he walks into the house, the smell is so familiar, it almost incapacitates him. I just thought that was nice. I must say, I loved the memories of the house and the description of the house. And I love it. I think it's after he puts the phone down, or maybe it's before, I can't remember. But the memory surfaces of seeing his mum planting pots. Yes, yeah, it's as he's running to the dance studio. Yeah, and I think that was beautiful. Uh, Look, I don't usually say this, so it was quite well done. Yes! (laughs) We've got to appreciate it. So then he, we know, he knows, we all know. He arrives. Yeah. There's no Rene, it was a video Oh, shock, horror. The video is very different, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Oh, ah, no, this was something to ask Isaac. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is the video different in Twilight? Because for him, it's at Thanksgiving and they're on a pier in California and he's going over the edge. And that wasn't my memory of Bella. Now, I know it's different in uh, the films. I know that. but um, We'd gone to see my grandma. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving. I was 12. We'd gone to see my grandmother in California last year before she died. We went to the beach one day and I leaned too far over the edge of the pier. She'd seen my feet flailing, trying to reclaim balance. Bella, Bella, she'd called to me in fear. Yeah, no, it's the same. Well, it's the same. Yeah. Okay, well, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is taking this video whilst Bella is <laughs> <laughs> What a good question. Yes! Unless Rene was filming and then saw and like chucks the camera, but it's still taking yeah, the video. Maybe. But then we have. Or enough... if the grandma is so sadistic. Your <laughs> grandma's filming this. <laughs> but wow, no, I had not thought because there it goes on for enough time yeah. that we're able to hear Rene say Bella, Bella, like at least twice. Yeah, the panic, and then we also hear the relief as well when we finally get to see the proper video. Of course. So Joss is here. There's no menace in her expression. But um, Bo has to remind us that she was so average looking. Nothing remarkable about her face or body at all. (laughs) She's just wearing jeans. She didn't even dress up for the occasion. (laughs) Just wearing jeans and a blue shirt. Honestly. I mean, I don't know if I can say this yet, but fuck it. Like, we'll get to it. Joss might be my favourite character. Yeah! 
she's so cool. And I resent Bo saying there is nothing remarkable about her face or body Look, at all. She's just fantasizing about Archie because Archie is even more than perfect. But I think that this is Joss's power. Uh, I think it is part of Joss's power that she looks unremarkable. We did say this. We brought this up. We did, yeah. We've had a bit of this discussion because it is an odd choice. And there was the same thing with James, but we maybe just didn't pick up on it as much. Because he was a man and irrelevant. She goes into so much effort to make it clear to us that vampires are all stunning. Yeah. And you walk into the school cafeteria and it's like, who the fuck are they? (laughs) Like, they are so stunning. And then Archie she explains to us and and Edith does about how they are like a dangerous flower they draw you in their appearance is part of it whereas Joss's specific skill seems to be to go places and find out information that people otherwise wouldn't be able to find in many ways she has the power that I think we at one point thought Charlie would get if he was a vampire (gasps) to go unseen to pass without notice yeah and I love it so Joss is surprised that Bo isn't angry about her trickery I love the fact that Joss finds Bo quite disappointing he doesn't want Edith to avenge his death and she's like oh Kid, you're so boring. So let's slowly torture you. It just makes sense that maybe she is the protagonist. Like, she's so relatable. <laughs> she finds she finds Bo boring. We find Bo boring. So because Joss finds Bo so dull, she's like, well, I suppose I better get my little backstory in. Because uh, I am recording this as well. Well, that's where we find out that actually this is all about Edith. It's not about Bo. Yeah. When Edith moved to protect Bo, that is what started the game, not Bo's presence by himself. And then we get Archie's story. And he had been in an asylum. It hadn't changed. Yes. I'm so happy. I was so relieved. So it's the same story that we had with Alice for Archie. Mm -hmm. Archie had a protector, a vampire protector that seemed infatuated with him. And we get a slightly darker glimpse of this unknown character because I'd never put two and two together in Twilight. It's just that Alice had this protector who was at the asylum Mm. or who worked at the asylum. But Joss adds another layer to this by saying about how demeaning it must be to actually work a human job for your food. And I had never thought of that before, that the reason that this vampire was working there was to feed on the patients. Oh, That's dark. Just before she first attacks him, she circles around him, looking for a good angle for the camera, and it's as though she's deciding where to start. I want to read this quote. And then her smile got wider and wider and wider till her mouth was just a gash full of teeth. That is pure horror. And (laughs) you don't really get it in Twilight. And I went back and looked for it and you get something similar about his smile getting so big. And it's just so cool. And I've got this image of this woman who's, you know, supposed to look kind of unremarkable. And this is the only example we get of a physical transformation. Yeah. And I just imagine, I, I get that it's hyperbole, but I get the image of like sharks, you know, like the rows and rows of teeth. Yeah. And you get three widers there, getting wider and wider and wider. Like it just keeps going. I mean, the mental image is horrific. I'm going to have to because 
it's me, but like in Buffy, you get the <laughs> yeah. wrinkly face. We get like a physical difference between a vampire looking like a human and then there's a change. Yeah. And a vampire looks like a vampire. We don't have that in Twilight, except here. This definitely seems to be something monstrous and something f- like manifestly evil, uh, which I love. I was going to say, yeah. And I think Joss seems more menacing than James did. And I think this whole scene as well, I think Joss is more demonic. Yeah, demonic. And she's kind of more camp. Like she's quite flamboyant just in her language. When she's telling the story about Archie, I looked back in Twilight when James was telling that story, it was basically just the facts filling in that exposition. But with Joss, we get things like, uh, I'm going to tell you a story one time long ago. Something escaped me. And she goes, shocking, I know, with an exclamation mark. There's these little bits of personality and this kind of camp showing off. Almost like if she had a mustache, she'd be twirling it. It's pantomime. (laughs) Which is fun and creepy. And with this, there just seems to be a lot more gore in this scene than it does in Twilight. You know, Bo really seems to be physically torn apart in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much we really need to describe with this. Yeah, it's it's intense. She breaks his arm first. I mean, he was feeling nauseous anyway, you know, rightfully so. And then he he is sick, physically sick. He says it like his body automatically coughs out the vomit so that he can breathe. And that's just the beginning. Yeah, it's uh, quite impactful. And you know, Bella wasn't. Bella wasn't sick. Everything is amped up. Yeah. And then we get this moment that is just so much more evil than, I know we've already said it, but then James is, where she stops. He's like still coughing up vomit and wheezing and his ribs are broken. And she brings the camera up to him because she wants what she wants. And what she wants is to fight Edith. Yes. She says, what I'd like here is a retraction. Can you do that for me? You do me a favour. I speed this up a little. Does that sound fair? (laughs) Joss just wants this fight. And she's like directing him. She says, try to sell it. Yeah. I mean, it's art house for sure. (laughs) But Joss is an amateur filmmaker. I think she's got a future. Yeah, she's sadistic, but it's sexy. When she says the line, it doesn't want to scream, she said in a funny little sing-song voice. Should we make it scream? She starts referring to him as it. Shall we make it scream? She's speaking to the audience in her video camera. Oh, Oh, it's bad. I love her. She's psychotic. She's insane, but I'm here for it. It's the most fun I've had reading this book. I'm like, kill him, kill him, let him die. He then feels the burn. But the finger is never, it's not said which one. With Bella, it was the palm. Does it matter? Well, if it's the pinky, that's a little bit odd. And then if it's the thumb, like, I just think a finger is a little bit weird. But in this moment, I now understood the relevance of Corrine's story. Yes. Because it's through that story that we have learnt that, yes, you can bite the hand, you can make this last longer. And Joss doesn't want Bo to be a vampire. Joss wants Bo to suffer and then die. So to make him suffer, she can infect him with venom. And as long as she kills him before it reaches the heart. But how much time does she have? Plus, I mean, if his heart stops before it reaches his heart, then he's going to die anyway. Mm. So he might die regardless, because it sounds like he's pretty fucked up (laughs) by this point. He is not okay. (laughs) Um, But I 
thought it was important. I'm like, a finger is weird. I preferred it when it was a palm. Maybe it's just something for the future. Maybe like, because he'll have this special scar mm. like Bella did. And Jessamine hands all over her body. Or maybe like, because this burning, he's got this burning finger. <laughs> like, that maybe that's a superhero name. Maybe like from now on, he'll be known as the flaming finger. If a man came up to me and was like, I've got a burning finger. <laughs> My name's Beaufort Swan, but my friends call me the Flaming Finger. <laughs> so, end scene. End scene. Yeah, end of this chapter. That was actually more fun than I thought it was going to be. So what was your worst part? Um, The boring start to the chapter. And that feels harsh because it was all kind of necessary. And I haven't had a lot of negative to say really going through this chapter because some of it was really beautifully written, as you said. All of the escape stuff is important. But I just, I think maybe it should have been two chapters. Or again, like, because we were messing with the order of things, maybe if they'd got to the airport last chapter. Mm, Yeah. How about you? What's your worst? The imaginary 20 minutes with Edith in the taxi. Oh, yeah, that was the cringiest part. Yeah, I'm just like, ooh, I don't like this. Honestly, I I kind of felt for a moment like, oh, I don't want to be in your head, you know, as a reader. Just like, oh, that stuff is meant for you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you can read a first person narrative and be like, oh, no, this feels like a private thing. You should keep that to yourself. "Mm, I feel like that's for you, though. So what's your best bit? It's the characterization of Joss. I agree. That's my best bit. Just, 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 just. The perfect villain. I wish we could see more of her. Yeah. She's cool. And I had underestimated her. And I think that's the point. Yeah. And that is even spookier because it's like, holy shit, Stephanie Meyer managed to manipulate me. Ooh. The switcheroo with Lauren and Joss. Yeah. And then we find out that Joss is the leader of the coven, but then we still don't get that much information. We just learn that she's like an amazing tracker. Yeah. But we don't get to know her at all because she doesn't reveal who she really is until we're in the dance studio. And that is who she is much like Bo's finger <laughs> I'm a burning for a question I will spit on your finger to put the oh. fire out <laughs> I want to know when do you think Jessamine realises that Bo has done a runner <laughs> <laughs> and how does Jessamine explain that to everybody <laughs> I should be like Oh, shit. Do you think at the point, as Bo is lying with his broken arms and legs, vomiting so that he can breathe, do you think she's just stood outside the bathroom like, I forget how long this takes. (laughs) I don't remember how long. How long does the average human take in the bathroom? What I'm wondering is how far can her empath powers extend if she's outside the bathroom trying to sense the emotions and searching for those emotions? (laughs) How many intense emotions are going on in that men's airport bathroom to kind of cloud the way? Oh my god. Airports are emotional places. They're tense. Quite a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, sorrow. Ooh. Joy. Uh, stress. Fear. I don't know. See, on the one hand, I can see her stood there waiting for like longer than is logical because she's just not quite confident in that whole business. On the other hand, another part of me thinks that literally Bo walks through the door and she's like, he's fucking gone. <laughs> I would like, 
totally get a coffee before having to tell <laughs> He's about to do a runner, but I'm tired. Yeah. I don't really like this kid. I don't like. have a horse in this race. Yeah, Jessamine could leave any time. Um, so honestly, I don't know. That's not how the burning question works. <laughs> <laughs> I think she leaves it for a good seven minutes. Ooh, I like how precise that is. Okay, cool. And then she's going to march in. She's going to kick down every stall door. When the final one is kicked down and it's empty, she's like, shit. And then she spots the other exit. And then she dashes back to Archie. And it's like, here's what's happened. And Archie will already know. Oh, yeah, Archie would already. Oh, my God. Oh, we've been silly. Jessamine doesn't notice. Archie comes to tell her. <laughs> Archie comes up and it's like, dude, he's gone. <laughs> Edith is going to kill her. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for chapter 22 of Life and Death. Join us next week for chapter 23, The Choice. You can find us on social media by searching at Forkscast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care. And remember... Don't take the complimentary Bible.